meeting uh, today because we had an opportunity to talk a little bit about the history of Lambda. And most people know or are familiar with the sign out in the coffee area that's got some signatures of the people that attended that very first meeting. And, um, and so I've always just presumed that was the date. But I got to learn tonight about the prehistory of the history, about how that one time in Austin, there was pretty much just three groups, the Suburban Alcoholic Foundation, which we know is Northland, the Bolden Group, and the 24-Hour Club, which was over on Oldtorf. And so when everybody got kicked out of the Suburban Group in Bolden, they would all go over to the 24-Hour Club because you could stay there 24 hours. And there was a group of alcoholics that basically ended up congregating at a picnic table uh, in the back. These people were extra happy, joyous, and free. And <laughs> they got talking amongst themselves about, what about putting together an LGBT meeting, right? And that led to that sheet with the signatures on it. So, uh, so while we think of those people as the quote unquote founders of the group, there's people that were behind the scenes that also were part of the conversations of starting that group. And I hope Carol gets a chance to tell us a little bit about that tonight. I sure enjoyed listening to her before the meeting. I hope you enjoy listening to her too. Carol A. My name is Carol A. I'm an alcoholic. And I discovered what that meant after I got to AA. I'm still not sure though. Uh, I thought I'd come in here and read over the literature. I did not see what drinking had to do with the things that were wrong in my life, um, but I called it it all. I was glad to have a title of alcoholism, so I thought of it like a big ball of um, string, and I just took this label and and put it all, pasted on the alcoholism thing, and that was what I did with it. So anything, if I got the flu, it was alcoholism, um, whatever. I, I just put it over there. And that worked for me for a while. But anyway, I kept coming back. I, I, uh, I guess my drinking, uh, I, I was a periodic drunk. That's supposed to be, I read, one of the most difficult kinds of people to stop because we have periods where I have periods where I didn't drink. I get intensely involved in a project or something I didn't drink. But then uh, when I got through with whatever it was, my diversion, uh, and I thought of drinking as like taking a sledgehammer and knocking myself in the head and getting everything to stop. I would get it all to stop. And then the reverberations would die down and I'd have to do it all again. So anyway, after I got to AA, I had gotten down to such a desperate state of mind and body that um, there were no more reverberations even, just a horrible four horsemen. And when I got to that part in the book, I didn't say who. I said, oh, those guys. So I was on familiar ground with that. And uh, recently I was talking with a new person and I started talking about the, um, I found out later it was alcohol poisoning, this electronic buzzing in my head. And she seemed surprised that I knew about it. And I thought, we've all been there. You know, we all know about it. But anyway, she thought she was, uh, she had private information about the electronic sounds. And um, <laughs> I, I thought, no, um, 
and I and I went to an art exhibit soon soon after um, I, I came to AA, and I started hearing that buzzing sound again. I thought it had disappeared. It turned out it was part of the exhibit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, I guess a, a, a brief story of my drinking was uh, I, I was born on the uh, mid-Atlantic state in Virginia and um, during World War II I just had my 80th birthday New Year's Eve and uh, my <laughs> thank you don't drink and don't die you'll get up here and talk about it <laughs> and uh, so anyway my dad was away in the war uh, and my mother had been traveling up by train to New York where all the ships were ships were sailing at dawn, so everybody was party hardy. And uh, so anyway, so the ship sailed. She came back to live with her parents and was pregnant. You know whose fault it was, the party ended. Um, but anyway, we, we started off with a conflict, and I think that lasted till the end. Uh, before she died, she called up and said, Carol, I'm sorry. And I said, okay because I didn't want to even hear <laughs> what it was. And, um, and and I thought, you know, I thought in that moment, I'm glad that that's all I said, because I now do not have any regrets. I don't, there's no way I could make amends had I said anything. And so the program has taught me to handle many situations that used to baffle us, me, just like it says in the program. And it said I would have friends like I'd never had before. And I thought, and that I would be glad to see people come in and their lives develop. And, 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 uh, and I thought, what other people are they talking about? And uh, so anyway, that has uh, become very meaningful to me, is that I've seen some absolute miracles in this program. And so anyway, as I said, I was born born there in World War II. My dad got out of the war. He came back, got my mom. They got married uh, on November 29th. World War II broke out December 7th. They had never uh, had anything but a honeymoon. They had never had a household together. So anyway, he came and got us. I'd been, we'd been living with uh, my grandparents. And my mother still, she was very young about, she was 20 and um, still going around with her girlfriends. And they just took me with them. And we went around the neighborhood and, and I was passed around the neighborhood. I was literally the only kid on the block. So anyway, um, we lived in a pretty prosperous neighborhood. My dad um, came and got us and he, was, he remained in the Navy. He was a career officer. And I was um, raised in a, a pretty privileged environment but i didn't know it was i mean that's just the way it was not only my life was like that and everybody i knew had a life like that so i didn't know any different and i guess and my drinking career was it sort of i could epitomize that in i was having cocktails at the officers club fast forward 20 years about a 24-hour club in Austin, Texas, backed up to a heroin park. And um, <laughs> anyway, I went there. Uh, I kept drinking, and 
I, I moved to D.C. and um, what else did I do? I got married a couple times and um, that didn't work out <clears throat> for me. Uh, but drinking did. I continued to drink. I moved to uh, Washington, D.C. I moved to 16 schools before I graduated from high school. And uh, I moved to Austin. And um, anyway, I, I moved in with this guy uh, who was a graduate student in social psychology because I thought well, I was crazy and nothing could be done about it. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, um, I, st I stayed with him till he graduated and got his PhD and went to teach in a small religious affiliated school. But it was a good three years. He had formerly been employed as a bartender. So uh, so he would fix drinks and I drank them. And he went to school and I went to work. And so that was great until he got a job in Wisconsin. And I went up there and it was on the edge of one of those great lakes. And I went up there and it was, um, uh, I had not wanted to be, exactly what I was raised to be was to be a wife of a military officer, which I did not want to do. And so I decided being a wife of a faculty person would be very similar to that. You know, I would be in a confined environment where I would have a set expected uh, behavior, which I did not want to do. And the idea of the expectations that I faced and what was worse was not the ones that they said but the ones that were unsaid which I knew only too well so drinking helped me escape from all that and I was very experienced at cocktail parties as someone said how well I could get along with people I thought yes and I had three drinks as soon as I hit the door made it a lot easier to get along with people and uh, so I had to learn to talk again when I got to AA, but if uh, you'll find out, I, I've uh, practiced pretty well. Um, I learned to speak extemporaneously in AA meetings. Is uh, No one told me that I was wrong. Nobody told me to shut up. And AA has given me a freedom I couldn't have imagined in that I am free to go out and drink today if I want to. I was just telling... Uh, I was saying before the meeting that I was not backed into a corner the way I felt was backed into a corner with teeth and nails showing. That was it. And I mean, a lot of situations I did not see an alternative. Um, AA has given me alternatives. It's given me the freedom of choice. I do not have to. It, it didn't say I had to do anything. And I gradually, I do not see what the, these ideas, the steps, the traditions, any of that had to do with my, the problems that I felt like there were many small things that were wrong. Now there are many small things that are right. And I have learned to meet calamity with serenity. I mean, there are things that uh, I don't know what I would have done. Well, I would have been drinking, that's what. That's the only way I knew. If it was a good situation, I drank to celebrate. If it's bad, I drank because I didn't like what was going on, which, and I was easily offended too. And um, <laughs> so good, bad, or indifferent, if nothing was going on, I drank because I was bored. So, um, so
So uh, any, just about any occasion called for a drink. As far as I was concerned, alcohol was my friend till it wasn't. And when it wasn't, it was, um, uh, I had gone to, um, over to a friend's house and we were, I was drinking, I remember it's some kind of clear thing, probably vodka or rum. Those were the two things I mainly drank after a while. I had decided at one time that any sort of drink could be made out of rum, dark or light. And, <laughs> and, uh, and that, um, so eventually I'm just drinking clear stuff. And so what it was, I, I was drinking a lot of that and we were playing some kind of board game. And I was thinking about, I was going to uh, read the rules of the game and everyone laughed. Carol's going to read the rules. Ha, 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 ha. Uh, I mean, I could barely see it. But anyway, <laughs> the electronic buzzing started. And so I had to leave. And I thought later about, I left that place and drove home. I mean, after I sobered up and realized the, um, I thought about the oceans of alcohol I had assaulted my body with. And how did I ever, I was like, I'm lucky to have a filtering system left. I tell you, I don't know how I held up to it. But uh, I read one time that an alcoholic has the constitution of an ox because the amount that we drink would kill an ordinary person. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, somehow those of us, those among, those here. Um, but I want to talk about now, I want to talk about the reason I got here. I got to my house and without killing myself or someone else on the way. And the thought that I had driven home in that state was horrifying to me for the first time. I mean, it's not the first time I'd driven around like that, but the first time it seemed alarming. And so I guess that was the beginning of my recovery because I got home and I had been, I had on this uh, velour shirt and pants and I was wrapped up in this, uh, this quilt that I had and it was uh, filled with feathers and it had a rip in it and it, and the walls were closing in and I felt like I uh, needed to get outside where there was some room. <laughs> and so I went out, I went outside and was sitting there and I was thinking about, um, um, I had been reading, I was still already looking for direction. I'd been reading those little horoscope books they have in the grocery store because each day I could read some, read my horoscope and I'd have a different one. So when I got to AA and found out they had a 24-hour book, it was real easy to make my transition. It was small. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, uh, I thought about... Um, but anyway, the, the fe my feather quilt had a rip in it, and feathers were trailing out, and I was sitting out, and I thought, I just want s some serenity. And I thought, I had been reading these little um, books also that have, they have all these little gifts you could order. And so I, I thought, serenity, that's, that, that's in that prayer that the alcoholics have. And because I'd, I'd seen an advertisement for the praying hands and it had the serenity prayer. And so I thought, well, that's good because they need one. And, <laughs> So I, uh, I uh, thought about, um, I walked over, it was like then about 3 a.m. or something. So I walked over to this uh, apartment building that was a couple blocks, well, one block from a house where this guy I knew lived. And so uh, 
I went over there and then I stood in front of his door and I thought, what if uh, what if he comes to the door? I said, what am I going to say to him? That I'm crazy? And then what is he going to do about it? And I thought, this is a pretty futile gesture here. So I took my, uh, I think I didn't have my quilt with me at that time. So I went back home and, uh, and I, anyway, I called my boyfriend, Jim, and um, like it was 4 a.m. where he was, or at least where I was, it was probably 5. Anyway, didn't matter. It's in the middle of the night for most people. <laughs> and uh, and so I told him that I'd been drinking and was thinking I was going to call AA, and he said he thought uh, that if I felt that way, that was probably the best uh that was the best thing to do. So I did call the 24-hour club, and they said they would come over. And I said, no. <laughs> I said, where are you? I'll come over there. So uh, so I went over there. And um, so this guy named Ray was the custodian. It was, a, it was over at first in Old Torf, and it was a two-bedroom tract house. And they'd made the carport into a... Um, into a sitting room, I guess you'd call it. It was lined with sofas. Anyway, I went over there, and and Ray was the custodian, and he weighed about 300 pounds. And I, I realized, I mean, later I found out he'd been sober about three months. But anyway, he started walking back and forth and saying, I've got to find a woman. I've got to find a woman. And I thought, what in the world's wrong with him? And uh, so anyway, I found out that he had been told that if a female came, he was supposed to find a female to talk to him. And, <laughs> and he didn't have one available. So, <laughs> so he called up Maggie, who worked at night at the, uh, at the mental institution, and she got out. Uh, so she got off work, and, but she didn't have a car. And so I had this sports car, didn't have a back seat in it. Ray and I got in this car and drove to get Maggie. And the three of us drove back to the 24-hour club. And to this day, I don't know how we got her. But anyway, uh, we got her and came back. And then another female came to the 24-hour club. He fixed us all coffee. Well, I didn't drink coffee then. I don't know. We probably drank Cokes or something. Uh, answer, Hazy. Ask again later. Um, so anyway, we went to the 24, I mean, over to Northland to a noon meeting. And Mary Emma was having her birthday. She was having her first birthday. Somehow new AA people had birthdays. And I thought, what do they do? Sit around and eat cake? And I thought, well, that's exactly what they did. <laughs> so... Uh, so anyway, I'm, I'm still friends with Mary Emma today. We have the same birthday, so we call each other up. And, and I'm very fortunate. They say stick with the winners. And I met these people when I first came in that I still know today. And we've all been sober. I've been sober 46 years now. I came in at March 22nd, uh, 1977. Yeah. <clears throat> And uh, the way I got here was Ralph ran into me with his car. I was, I was, um, I told Jim I would become, I went into a rage of some sort and told him I hated him and got in my car and drove off to vote. 
uh, on my way to work. And so I was, I had voted, I was on my way to work, and Ralph T-boned my car at an intersection. And, uh, and so anyway, um, I hit my head on the windshield and damaged, uh, I had an injury to my frontal cortex. And I read later that alcohol damages the frontal cortex. So once I got into AA, I mean, this took years for me to find out. I was in the exact right place for a person with a frontal cortex injury. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I kept coming, uh, and, and someone would say, Carol, are you coming tonight? And I said, I thought, well, I don't have anything else to do. <laughs> I've been sitting home drinking was my alternative. But anyway, I went to the 24-hour club. And, but when I first went there, um, someone took me in the backyard. It must have been Ray. Put me in the backyard and introduced me. There was a guy, There were picnic tables and trees out in the back, um, in the backyard. And uh, he introduced me to a guy sitting at a picnic table, and he said, "Welcome to the 24-hour club, where the bizarre is commonplace." And I thought, "I'm home." <laughs> so that was Bob Hunter, now deceased, and I want to say that. A number of the people that I met and talked about are now deceased, and the people that um, that are whose names are on that paper, uh, I know of two of them are still here besides me. Uh, I didn't drink and I didn't die, so I'm up here talking about it. And um, I talked with Dennis Sissel. He said that was fine with him. They used his name. He's moved to he. Uh, what did we say? It was two or three years ago. He moved to Las Cruces, New Mexico. And um, I think that's where it is. Anyway, and Dan Hardy, who moved to, uh, he lives in Georgia now. And I talked with both of them and told them I was going to come over here and talk. And one of the reasons I wanted to come and talk here is that when I got there, uh, when the clubs would close they, at Northland, or suburban then they'd kick everybody out at 10 o'clock and they'd come over and um and that was the beginning of of um they didn't i don't think they had a name then that and dennis said it was at charlie blocker's house they wrote on that paper that's at wherever it is i haven't seen it for years but anyway um they they wrote on it at charlie blocker's house and then that really was the beginning of lambda it wasn't because uh, I told someone I was going to talk about this, and they said, well, what was their, where was their building then? I said, they didn't have a building. They had a picnic table. <laughs> and, and I say, and, but when they did, they did get a house. I got, it was a little Victorian house. I think it was on 6th Street. Um, I gave, maybe it was Rob, a picture of it one time. And, um, and anyway, when they moved, they invited me to come and speak at their new club. And whenever they moved, they would invite me to come and speak at their new club. And I was saying to a friend a few weeks ago, I said, no one has asked me to speak for a long time. I guess I don't think I have anything interesting to say. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and he said, well, why don't you ask them if you can come speak? And I thought, well, what a great idea. And I thought, well, I haven't gone over you know, I'd come to, and every now and then I'd appoint myself to come over and talk about, um, you know, what a, what a great um, place, you know, get, what a great group it has become.
from that handful of people in the backyard of the 24-hour club, uh, I thought to come and see, I thought, I don't care if anybody, if nobody but Rob and me are here, I want to talk about this. Uh, but I'm glad to see so many of you, and I'm glad to see me in this really grand building that you've accomplished and being able to be of service to other groups, that you have so much not only to fill your own needs, but those of other people that are trying to recover. This is really uh, an amazing, uh, it's an amazing global and universal consciousness that we've entered into. And the fact is that you can, that there is a sense of peace, calm and connection with the whole world. This is a global, universal organization. And and most people come in and all they see is a bunch of people complaining about the traffic sitting around on cheap furniture and they turn around and leave and don't know that it's really the doorway to a to um a, a wonderful life that can't really be described. I mean I couldn't the, as many meetings I've been to, which is a lot, um, I've never heard anybody describe the horror of alcoholism. They've talked about things that happened to them when they were drinking. They've talked about, you know, losing jobs, homes, whatever, you know, the kinds of things that happen to us when we're going through the world unconscious. I don't know how I lasted long enough to get to AA. And... Um, and when I think about it, if if um, if it weren't for AA, I don't, I wouldn't be alive today. I couldn't if I'd kept drinking, I would have died. Um, but the other, the way I live my life is fixed for me. I could never arrange the cast of characters. If someone said you couldn't pay to meet the people you meet in AA. And I thought, that's for sure. So anyway, uh, you might pay not to meet them. But, <laughs> but coming here, I wasn't, uh, as I was growing up, not prepared to, to go out and work. And um, you know, I was supposed to go to college. And my dad said, I think that, Carol, you should probably get a job. And I said, doing what? I don't know how to do anything. Then all these college prep courses. Um, what am I going to do, work an algebra problem? And, that's a, <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought, well, that's exactly what I ended up doing is um, because I was going to go into interior design, I'd learned drafting. I was the only girl in my class in high school. I had to go out by the um, wood shop and all that stuff with my drawing board from T-Square. And uh, so from that, I got a job working for a survey company. This, this uh, company had the largest, um, well, he had first first option for all survey work done in Princess Anne County, which was uh, this huge county in Virginia where I lived. Virginia Beach was a resort city. Anyway, so from that, I ended up having a whole career. I worked, um, worked in architecture and engineering. I moved to D.C. And the big work right then was they were building a subway system, and there was a, but I went to work for the gas company, which I said was a good choice because it's not that many places are building subway systems, but there's plenty of gas companies. So I went, went to work for that gas company. I came to Austin. Uh, I worked in D.C. for a couple of years. Um, I came to Austin and went to work for the city of Austin, and right then 
the uh, it was expanding, and so I was able to find work for a long time. And uh, and every anything, and I and my dad was in real estate, and so anyway, I bought a house. I moved to this house. I lived in one house about three or four years, and I moved to another house and. I decided to buy it, so I asked the landlord. So I bought a house when I was 34, and I only know how to buy things. My dad was a entrepreneur, so he bought. After he got out of the navy, he had a real estate company and an antique store in one. He could sell you a house and furnish it. So he, uh, and it was right at the foot of the Bay Bridge Tunnel, so people would get off there, you know, and there, there was his store. So. <laughs> he's ready to sell you a bill of goods and whatever else he could get by with. So, uh, so anyway, I bought a house, and I still live in it today because I just know how to buy things. I didn't learn how to sell things as well as he did, and uh, and so anyway, I I have a very um, I have a very secure, safe life. I have a secure and safe home. I have a lot of friends that I, that I didn't want, but I got them anyway. And, uh, and I'm still friends with Ralph that ran into me with his car. And he was over at my house last week. And <laughs> anyway, we've remained friends all these years. And I have other friends that I've known since I've been sober. I just got in, I tell you to stick with the winners. I'm telling you that this is not a popularity contest. Just stick with people that are trying to, I thought anybody that didn't have a drink in their hand at that moment was aspiring to a spiritual lifestyle. (laughs) And um, that turned out not to be the case. People come to AA for all sorts of reasons. You know, we're a bunch of sitting ducks. And they come in here and, uh, you know, people have been cleaned out for all kinds of reasons. And, you know, we're all basically cons. We're, we're big fakers till we get here. And then we have to learn how to not be that. And, uh, you know, being who we are. Who would think that would be difficult? Who would know that it would take the support of legions to get through a day? Uh, so anyway, not drinking 24-hour a day I thought would be simple I thought sure I can do that but then um, uh, as it turned out some of the days were more than 24 hours it was like but then I found out and I learned that we're all given 24 hours no matter how who you are all you get is 24 hours I don't care how much worldly says worldly worldly fame will not help you in here it won't Um, you, know, you have to go to the interior of yourself, and it, it's an inside job as we work and continue to not drink a day at a time. As I said, no matter who you are, you get 24 hours, and no matter who you are, you still get 24 hours. You know, So do with it what you will. Some days I do nothing, and then I learned that that's okay too. Um, when I came in, they had just come out the third edition of the big book. And I read in there, the, the introduction to the second edition talks about that we're over, um, we're over 100 men and women, a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, 
which was where I was when I got here. Seemingly hopeless, yes. And I think about that prison with abandoned hope, all ye who enter here. But I had, I am a creative person, but I'd run out of ideas. You know, AA was my last option. So I came in there and to the 24-hour club where the bazaar was commonplace, and it was. I mean, I could write a book about that place. But anyway, I never thought I would look back with any degree of nostalgia on that period of time, but it was the perfect place for me. It was basic AA. There were no frills. There was no social climbing. We were all on the bottom, you know. <laughs> there was no place to go. So, um, so we all just sat there. We just would go and sit in that converted carport with the cushions around it all hours of the day or night. And I remember one time, uh, Brad Coffey, still sober, said, remember that time I went over to the 24-hour club in my pajamas and robe? And I said, no. And uh, I thought, well, it was the sort of place where you could do that. No one would notice. And, and then I vaguely remember that he did that. But it wasn't, you know, it didn't seem unusual or outstanding at all. I mean, it, it was, uh, and, and eventually some of, some of the population opened a halfway house in the next door. And it was a failure, of course, because people think they could violate these traditions. And they say, oh, those were written a long time ago. I thought their traditions are written down as notes for stuff that they did and failed. And so we'd know about it, not so we could do it <laughs> and prove them wrong. So, uh, so anyway, uh, there's different stories about how different groups have uh, thrown out their traditions and done the same things and uh, met with disaster, just like they're trying to warn us about. But we don't listen. You know, we have fast forgetters. And coming into AA, I continued to go to meetings. I made friends. Um, I went to the 1980 International Convention. I saw uh, Marty Mann, who's one of the first women who remained sober in AA, not the first woman, but she was very influential in the public relations part of AA. She, uh, the, the uh, convention was in New Orleans that year, and she was from New Orleans. And her story's in the big book, but she lived in New York where she was in PR. And she was in um, Home for the Bewildered with her roommate. And so she went, she found a psychiatrist. The big book had been written, but it was only a draft. And um, she went home and told her roommate the most wonderful thing of AA we don't have to be alone anymore. And, uh, Anyway, Marty Mann went on to be one of the one of the uh, more important founders of AA, and was uh, you know right there working with uh, and, and founded the uh, the outreach portion where they send people out to out to uh, Lions clubs and civic organizations to talk about AA. Uh, so anyway, God has put. I feel like this is a divinely inspired book program, everything that happens in here, my life has been shaped for me. There's no way I would have had the wherewithal to create a life that I have today. And I can be 
It said in the book, alcoholics know loneliness like no other. And I can be in a crowd of people. And um, anyway, then I can be home by myself for five minutes thinking I'm alone and have no friends, which is not true. I mean, I have friends now. And uh, Ralph was at my house, and and I invited him to my birthday party, and he said, how many people do you think will be there? My friend is going to be at my friend's house. I said, maybe a dozen. And so anyway, he said, Carol, I thought you said there was going to be a dozen people here. There was about 60. (laughs) I said, well, that's how many I thought might come. (laughs) So anyway, it's... uh, I I don't have, after all these years, in a program of self-investigation, the fourth step taught me nothing is going to be perfect. I thought I was going to come in here, a wand would descend, and I would be wearing a ball gown or something. (laughs) And, uh, you know, everything would be perfect. Well, it hasn't been. Some of it's been horrible. Some of it's been wonderful. But the fourth step taught me, just like each person, is that, you know, it's not all good and it's not all bad. The best situation is going to have some flies in the ointment. The worst situation is going to have some shiny parts. So, um, you know, that's what life on life's terms is. And I learned learned acceptance. It says Dr. Paul, now deceased, um, said acceptance is the answer to all of our problems. And it doesn't mean I have to like it. It means I have to agree that that is reality, which I did not want to do. I mean, you know, reality and my vision of it was were not synchronized, <laughs> I guess, is what I have to say about it. And, uh, and I've learned to accept life on life's terms and and not think I have to like it. I can say, you know, but that is the way it is, and that way I can deal with it. And also, I have to say that the solution to problems that used to baffle me, that all of these things have come true. And I have learned that each one of us in here, if you keep coming back, if you can accept this simple program, your life will be different. Uh, it may not get better for a while, but it might. Um, but it, but the ups and the downs, it levels out that I think that the worst, the darkest part that we have, we, I have been to has equaled, not equaled, the brightest part, part of my life has far outshone the darkness. Where it, it doesn't talk about dark nights of the soul, but what about the dark afternoons of the soul? <laughs> but, you can, but if you live in Austin, Texas, you can find a meeting um, most an hour away. If not, make sure you have a phone, call up an alcoholic. Dr. Bob says one alcoholic talking to another. I don't care how well-meaning a friend is. They do not, they do not know um, they do not know what it's like. I told my therapist I was coming here and talking, and uh, her son goes here sometimes, and she said, so, but she's not an alcoholic. And she said, uh, I said, I'm going to go there and talk about what a great building they have now. 
And uh, she said, what kind of building do they have when you came in? I said, they didn't have one. They had a picnic table. (laughs) She said, good heavens. Um, But anyway, she's kind of amazed that... um, (laughs) Amazed that, um, you know, that the program could, uh, could bring about such a miracle. I mean, when I think about... Those nights when Charlie Blocker came over and, and sawed all the limbs off the trees in the backyard and they got into a big to-do. And um, anyway, that, that happens. And I'm just glad I was able to come here and tell you about it. You don't have to meet at a picnic table. You've got a roof over your head. Thank God. Thank you for listening.